All right, let's go. Today, we're talking about intergenerational discipleship. That's a couple of big words that actually are loaded. People have uh, different ideas of what they mean, and you might actually have thought you've all got on the same page, but perhaps now as you start to live it out, you're thinking, yeah, maybe I didn't think that's what it meant. So my plan is that together we might get a bit more of a shared definition and a few foundations for you guys to move forward. I think of one big thing that uh, to come to terms with is that word intergenerational. What does it mean? What does it actually look like? We know it has something to do with generations, but what exactly? So when we get together as a faith community, there are three main ways that generations get together. The first is like the, oh, which soccer club am I going to pick? Am I going to pick Narrabeen? Am I going to pick Cromer? Am I going to pick Kirkhill? I'm going to pick You know what? I'm going to pick Wakehurst because that's who my nephew and my uh, brother-in-law play for. Boo! Alright, it's like Wakehurst Soccer Club are all at their home ground and there's actually a whole bunch of games going on. The under sixes are actually on one field. The men's team is over on the other field. Nana is sitting on the sidelines rugged up because it's one of those freezing mornings. A couple of the parents are on the barbecue and the little siblings are playing on the playground. Everybody is at the field, but they're not actually doing anything together. That can be what church is like. Multiple generations, part of the same club, but in different spaces, meeting at different times, or even at the same time, just present in the same space, but not actually interacting. But there's another way generations get together, and that's what happens when Steve coaches Amos's soccer team. It's one generation handing over encouragement, information, ideas, best way to dribble a ball, best way to tackle, best way to stop a goal. One generation giving information, ideas, encouragement to another. That can happen in our faith community too. When one or two people take the kids and tell them a Bible story. It can happen when the kids perform something for us as adults. It's one generation doing something for another generation. But none of those are actually intergenerational. Intergenerational is, and I know you can't easily see that, but this is my church playing soccer. And what you can't see there, well, maybe you can. Down the back, we've got a five-year-old on goal We've got a 15-year-old stopping the ball, ready to go. We've got a couple of 40-somethings who think they're still 30-something. One of them happens to be my husband. We've got a couple of 30-somethings who are actually, know that they're only 30. And then there's a whole bunch of young adults in their 20s and everybody is on the field. Everybody's playing soccer. It's as if Ainsley gets the ball, she passes it to Jed, Jed passes it to Amos, Amos passes it to Sage, and Jen is the one who scores the goal. Yeah. A good game. A good game. Intergenerational is when two or more generations are together and that they're engaged in a shared activity, be that praying, serving, learning, worshipping, 
It's when our structures and every intraday, everyday interactions are defined, defined by being of benefit for all, where all of us are equally valued and all are both giving and receiving. You know, most churches do the first two ways really, really well. They got that down pat. They got that sorted. But it's only in recent times that churches are again looking at, hey, what does intergenerational mean? And it's not that being together in the first two ways is, is bad. Like, it's good that Steve coaches Amos's soccer team, not Amos coaching Steve's soccer team. Steve's got a bit more experience to pass on. And it's good for the under sixes to be all together as peers. It's good for the 50 pluses to be all together as peers. We know that camaraderie is good. But I'm wondering if there might be a better way, another way. So we're going to take a look at the Bible. And while we're taking a look in the Bible, I've got something to give out to every group. You need send a volunteer from each group. already. All right, we're going to read the Bible together. I need four volunteers. If you don't volunteer, I am quite good at conscripting. I've learned a few names. All right, I'm going to conscript Tasha's mother-in-law, Dave's mum, Jenny. Thank you, Jenny. I couldn't remember. Can you come down, please? Thank you, Jenny. Uh, Ainsley, you've got your hands free right at this moment. Now, somebody handed you a potato head. Yeah, come on up. Uh, Amos, do you want to read or not? Harry, Harry, okay, Harry, come on over. And um, I'm not sure. Can, who do you reckon we should ask, Harry? Yeah, yeah, somebody from over here. Who do we, should we get, Jen? Okay, well, Levi, you might need someone to come read with you, but... All right, Ainsley, you get the first one. Thanks, Jenny. Harry. Jed and Levi. All right. Now, let's, uh, let's read this passage together. So Paul's just writing to the Corinthians, and he said to them, look... You know what? We've all we've all bought into this Jesus thing. We're all drinking from the one spirit. So that means that there's no more of this Jew or Greek, slave or free. We're all one body. Oh hang on, let me explain it to you like this. I want you to think about how all of this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all about the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If Bush said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body. Would that make it so? If an ear said, I'm not beautiful like eye, you've heard an excuse. 
Gracie, but I don't deserve a place on the head. Would you want to remove it from the body? And if the body was all eye, how could it be? How could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where He wanted it. Do you want to mind? You're right. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each with its proper size and in its proper place. No part is more important on its own. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine an eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary definition. You can live without an eye for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body, you are Certain with concern with it makes no difference. Whatever the part is visible or closed, higher or lower, you give in dignity, dignity and our honour just as it is without comparison. If anything you have more concern for the lower part that that than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full body hair? <laughs> You want me to do it? You don't want to do anything? Yeah, can you hold the mic? <clears throat> Alright, uh, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. All right, I'm wondering if you can take a look at your potato heads. Anybody got a whole and complete paper potato head? Hmm, all hands, all eyes. 
What's yours going to be? All right. I reckon there's only one potato head that's going to be able to stand up. Which potato head is that that's going to be able to stand up? The one with the the feet. That's right. The one with feet is what will be able to stand up. The one with all eyes? Nah. The one with all hands? Nah. Every single one got a mouth because this body seems to do an awful lot of talking. Alright. Well, I'm glad wondering. So you can put potato head together while I keep talking. You can work together. What is Paul saying to us in this passage? It starts with the foot. Foot can't say, I'm not elegant like hand embellished with rings. I guess I don't belong to the body. I know my feet aren't elegant. Even if I put nail polish on them, they really, yeah, they're, they're feet. Uh, but I'm sort of wondering why Paul picked feet to start with. And it's probably something that we're not quite as familiar with. But in the Middle East, the foot is the lowest. It's the least. It's unclean and it's unimportant. So John the Baptist says to Jesus, you know what? I'm not even fit to untie your sandals. Like, I am seriously so low, I can't even, I'm not even good enough to touch your feet. And feet are pretty unimportant. Still today in the Middle East, feet and shoes are considered unclean. In 2003, when the US invaded Iraq and Saddam Hussein's statue came down, the people of Iraq came out and they beat the statue with their shoes. Well, this grandma with her purple slippers, but you can see they've got their kids standing on the statue with their feet on the statue. In 2008, when George Bush when, was doing a press conference in Iraq, well, they threw a shoe. Now, we'd throw food or we'd hurl abuse or we, Steve's going to throw his thong at me. Or we might even, you know, we've heard of people spitting on things that they don't like. But we don't think of throwing our shoes. But in the Middle East, that is what they do because the foot is the lowest. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's saying, no matter how worthless, how unimportant, you feel compared with the hand, you can't leave the body. Paul is saying no matter how you see yourself or how others see you, you can't say the body or the church doesn't need me. At any point in time, any one of us can feel I'm not needed or that what's happening here as we gather is not about me or isn't for me, and so maybe it's best if I'm not here. But you are needed. Paul's message is for you. The body can't stand up without you, feet. The body can't stand up. The eye and the head, on the other hand, think, you are so lucky to have me. In fact, all you need is more like me. In fact, if you were all like me, you would just be awesome. Well, actually, Paul, in, well, Patterson in his translation of 1 Corinthians says, actually, it would be a monster. 
it'd be a monster. You can't say that we need to all be the same as me or that I don't need others because Paul has two warnings. One against seeing ourselves as inferior and the second is against self-sufficiency. Some of you have complete potato heads, but I reckon most of you have rather monstrous potato heads. There is a trading station down the back. You need to keep your potato head in the circle, take off the bits that you don't need and take them back and trade them for what you do need. Maybe you need a hand, maybe you need a couple of feet. Go down the back and trade. Leave your potato head in the middle. All right, Jan will help you and then bring, bring them back to your group. Your group will need a potato head. Churches actually need to get to grips with this idea of neither being inferior or self-sufficient. We can't do it on our own. Can I just speak to you guys who are still this way and not actually trading? See, the trick or the trap that we can fall into is that because one part of the body needs more help to participate, because one part of the body needs more support to learn to be safe, that we start to think that intergenerational ministry is all about that one part. It's all about the children. That it only benefits children when it's actually about helping every generation connect with other generations. And it actually has benefits for lifelong faith for every generation. All right. I'll get you to put your potato head together and then we'll have a look this way. I'm wondering if you can think of what some of the benefits might be to being an intergenerational faith community. Have you got an idea? Perspective. Perspective? Yes, perspective. Uh, if you're in your, if you're a young adult, you're trying to figure out career and uh, job choices, somebody older and wiser can give you some great perspective. If you are a young parent in the baby toddler years, somebody who's a few years ahead might be able to give you some ideas about the phase you're in right now and what's coming up so you can prepare. If you are single and older, you might be a fantastic auntie to families and to, to, whose families are scattered. You have a huge benefit to bring there. There's support as we care for our ageing parents. There's the opportunity for legacy as we pour wisdom into those who are younger than us. For every generation, connecting the generations develops the fruit of the spirit. 
An intentionally intergenerational environment is more likely to encourage and sustain discipleship that lasts for a lifetime. So, one of the other words we wanted to look at was discipleship. So I want you to talk to one another. And I'm going to give you a card. And I want you to write on that card some things that you might see in the life of somebody who is trying to be a disciple. What are some things that they might do, experience, you might see as fruit of their discipling, of their knowing Jesus, of their becoming more like him? I'm going to make it easy for you and I'll give you the first one, reading the Bible. Actually, I've made it harder for you because now you can't pick that one. So we're going to have a conversation with your group. What are some of the things that people who want to follow Jesus, become more like him, are going to do? Put them. What places are they going to put themselves? What are they going to experience? All right, I'll pass you out a card so you can fill them in. All right. Are you ready? We're going to take one from each group. Uh, we'll let this group go first. Jed, what one of you, what's one you can call out? Uh, praying together. Praying. The, decide, the follower of Jesus is going to be praying... Is going to be praying. This group, Renee. They're going to share their faith. They're going to share their faith. They're going to tell others about Jesus. Excellent. This group. Harry, have you got something? What's on the list? They're going to be part of a community. Of are they going to be part of a community? Yeah. What about Monique's group? What have we got here? They'll be kind. They'll be they'll be kind. What they do because they believe will be kind. Steve, your group. They'll go to church. They'll go to church. All right, uh, another one. Have we got another thing? Have we got anything else? They're going to go to church. They're going to be kind. They're going to pray. I'll read the Bible. Yeah, you go. He's got it. They'll read the Bible. Um, so how about some of these things? Somebody who's choosing to be a disciple is going to want to know Jesus and they're going to want to experience Jesus. So not only are they going to read the Bible, they're going to pray and listen and worship and uh, it'll be important to see other people doing that too. Not only will they know and experience him for themselves, they'll want other people to know and experience him. And so they'll want to tell others. They'll want to tell others. Because they've known about Jesus and experiencing him in their lives, that will change who they are and they will become generous and kind and compassionate and look for ways to do that. They will choose to do it together. We had the word community. We They'll have companions in that journey, people who mentor them, people who encourage them, people who do it alongside them. They'll make choices. They'll make choices about how they're going to live. Are they going to cheat on their tax? Are they going to keep that 50 buck they just found? Are they going to cheat on the test? What are they going to do? What's the right thing to do? So their ethics will be important too. The trick when we talk about discipleship, especially when we talk about intergenerational discipleship, we make it about our times as a gathered church. 
how we learn together. But discipleship, we've just said, is all these aspects of life, didn't we? It's about how we live, how we love, how we experience, how we mark seasons, how we ethic, how we respond, how we invite. It's, it's our heads, it's our hearts, it's our hands. Gosh, that's a great phrase. It's heads on, hearts on, hands on. Actually, let me read from your own website. Our name, H3O, reflects our desire to be people that have an all-of-life faith. This means it's more than coming to church on a Sunday. Instead, it's about having our head on, heart on and hands on when it comes to connecting with God, His mission and the people and the world He has created. So if we pull these two big concepts together, intergenerational discipleship is going to look like all the generations connecting and looking for ways to mutually benefit one another, working alongside one another in all of life following Jesus. So maybe it's inviting someone from a different generation to you to your place for dinner and asking them to tell their story. What do they love at daycare? What's been their favourite job that they've had in life? How, what was it like when they went to school? What makes them happy? Where are they seeing God at work this week? Or HRIO, maybe it's looking for ways that together you will bless the people of DY. And how can all of you get involved in that? And maybe intergenerational discipleship will be when you gather, you'll look for ways you can learn together. You'll look for ways that all of you participate in worship. Actually participate. Not just be present in the same room. If you're going to do intergenerational discipleship, it means you're all going to participate. Now, it might be every week, but it's got to be regular enough to be part of the rhythm. Can I just say one thing to you, though? You actually have a big challenge here. Because you have a very large cohort of kids under five. They are actually in most need of support and the most energetic explorers they will ever be in their life. And I know that some of you parents think right now you are the tiredest you could ever possibly be. So when you go to do intergenerational learning, I own it. It's not going to be easy. I recognise it. I'm not naive. I'm not an idealist. And you may be tempted to wait until the kids are older. But the question will be how old? And, and which child? When August is older? When Bailey is older? And at that point, will you actually be prepared to change? One of the key things these under fives need to know is that they are wanted, that they are loved in this space amongst people who know and love God. They have to experience that here. They need opportunities to experience awe and wonder. 
You need opportunities to experience awe and wonder. This is not a play space. This is not a talk space. This is a space where the people of God come together and encourage one another and worship him together. And this can't just be the job of the parents, nor can it just be the job of other people, of one or two people who'll take care of the kids. So it's going to be very tempting for you to follow the standard, age-segregated, always specialised by generation every week, easier path. But if you choose to continue taking the more challenging path, which includes some elements of being an intergenerational community, it's going to require a lot of give and take. But if you navigate, navigate these challenges together, you are laying incredible foundations for the life of this church and your own personal discipleship and H3O as a whole will be more resilient, more welcoming, more like disciples that are known for their love of one another, which will actually impact the world and will help you be a whole and healthy body. That is my prayer for H3O.